Lapsa here, and welcome back to Murder in the Mountains. Megan is our co-host this week. Hello, Mountain Tees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was not told. <laughs> um, like Mounties? Isn't that what you call like the Canadian police? Aren't they called Mounties? Rocky Mounties? Like mount, mountain people. Mountaineers? Oh, that sounds better. <laughs> Hello, Mountaineers. Okay, so, <laughs> geez, um, this week's case is the next installment in my Where Did This Come From little mini-series, um, and I wish I could come up with a better title than that, but I haven't yet, so that's where we're going to go with. Um, so, this week's case takes place in Queens, New York on March 13th, 1964. Catherine Susan Genovese, who went by Kitty, was born on July 7, 1935 in Brooklyn, New York. She was the oldest of five children and raised in a neighborhood of mainly Italian and Irish roots. She was of Italian descent. She attended an all-girls school where she graduated in 1954. Are you taking notes? (laughs) Sometimes I forget the year. So So you're writing them down? But thanks for calling me out. I just see her like pulling up uh, like a pencil and like a notepad, (laughs) all studious. But I appreciate it. Okay. So she attended an all girls school where she graduated in 1954. Right after her graduation, her mother, Rachel, witnessed a murder on the streets of New York and immediately decided to move the family to Connecticut to get away from the violence of the city. Uh, Kitty, however, decided to stay in the city with her grandparents because she was getting married soon, like fresh out of high school. Oh, wow. She was getting married. But it was, I guess back in that day, people got married pretty early anyways. Yeah. And I mean, she finished high school, so that's that's good. Uh, Okay. Well, a lot of girls would just leave (laughs) high school and just go get married and stuff. I suppose that I'm still, that's way too early, but back in the day, they got hitched and started having babies. Okay. Hitched and babies. So there weren't a lot of details on it, but she got married to a man and divorced later that same year in 1954. So then they ended up just getting annulled. That's why you don't get married right out of high school. Life advice with Megan May. Divorce will happen. So Kitty began working as a bartender, and in August of 1961, she and a coworker were arrested for bookmaking after taking horse race bets from bar guests. What is for bookmaking? Yeah, I think that's something along the lines of stealing the bets or making, I don't know, like them lose. It's like working the books. Like, so you take the bets and you put down like who they're like betting for or against or whatever, you know, and it's something illegal. That has to do with that. And I only know that from watching Peaky Blinders. So. Oh, I don't even know what that is. Um, Peaky Blinders is a real good show on Netflix. You should watch it. It's, okay. it's real good. I watch it because we watch the same things. Thank you. So <laughs> she, she trusts me, guys. You also watch Peaky Blinders too. Very good show. So she was arrested and fined $50 and she lost her job. So shortly after, she found a new bartending gig at, it's either Ev's, it's only, it's E-V apostrophe S, so Ev's or Eve's 11th hour in Queens, and she quickly became a manager. 
she really moved up. She went from like stealing, getting fired, finding another job and becoming a manager. So good for her. She's like, this really worked out. By March of 1964, she had an apartment in Kew Gardens, Queens, which she shared with her girlfriend, Mary Ann Zelanko. So they were a couple, but seeing as it's the 60s, most people thought that they were just roommates. So at around 2.30 a.m. on March 13th, 1964, write that down, Kitty... (laughs) Don't tell me how to take my own notes. (laughs) You're going to regret it. So, around 2.30 a.m. on March 13, 1964, Kitty left her job and headed home. While she was sitting at a red light, she was seen by a man named Winston Mosley. He was just being a creep sitting in his car. So, what does he do? Follows her home, of course. Um, Kitty arrived at the parking lot to her apartment around 3.15 a.m. The parking lot was located about 100 feet from the front door. As she walked to the door, she noticed Winston following her, so she began to run. But he chased her, caught up to her, and stabbed her twice in the back. Dear Kitty, you don't get out of the car and you don't drive home if you notice someone following you. She only noticed when she was already out of her car walking to the front door. She didn't notice him following her because he parked like around the corner, not in her parking lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ugh. So she was stabbed twice in the back, like I said, and she yelled out, oh, my God, he stabbed me. Help me. She was within earshot of neighbors, but some didn't hear exactly what was said. One neighbor, Robert Moser, heard Kitty's cry for help and yelled out his window, let that girl alone. This caused Winston Mosley to run away back to his car around the corner. I know that's what he said. Not leave that girl alone. It was let that girl alone. I'm like. Is this in Tennessee? (laughs) Let that girl alone. He may have been. I don't know. Maybe he was from Tennessee. So, uh, Winston ran back to his car, but Kitty was seriously injured, but was still able to move. So, she tried to get away and made her way to the back of the apartment, which was out of the sight of any neighbors or potential witnesses. Witnesses saw Mosley go back to his car and drive away only to return 10 minutes later after noticing that nobody came to Kitty's aid. Oh, man, I was just about to say, I mean, at least that guy did something and shouted, though. I made fun of the way he said it, but no matter how he said it, at least he, like, scared him away, but he didn't go out there afterwards. No, because he saw him run away. So he's like, okay, cool, I did my part. Stabbed. I don't know if he saw her being stabbed or if he just heard what she said. I don't know. I think I would go out and check if I saw the guy run away. I feel like I would go out and say, are you okay? I mean, it's not his fault. If people do whatever. He probably thought she was fine. But was she on the ground? She was like, like staggering around. Like she was stabbed in her back. If she was still outside when he came back, though, she must have been pretty hurt. Right. Like she was... So she, it seems would notice that. Right. Well, that's unfortunate. So after searching surrounding areas, he found Kitty outside the back door to her apartment, but she was unable to unlock the door. Seeing a prime opportunity to finish what he had started, Winston Mosley walked back up to Kitty and stabbed her multiple more times and then raped her and stole around $49 from her before he ran away. The cumulative time that both attacks took was about 30 minutes 
one of her neighbors heard the commotion and ran out to find Kitty outside the apartment. This guy's bold. He followed her. It kind of seems at random. No, it definitely is at random because she was leaving and he, he just saw her in the car. So it doesn't seem like he was like following her. And then he comes back and one person already yelled at him. You think he'd be like, well, people are up. That was a bold move to come back, but it's, it sucks. Nobody heard more or did more before then. So the neighbor's name was Sophia Farrar and she held Kitty in her arms and let her know that an ambulance was on the way because she had called the police. Finally, an ambulance arrived, but unfortunately Kitty died in the ambulance at 4.15 a.m. on the way to the hospital after suffering blood loss due to 12 stab wounds. And that's weird that he, it's weird and gross that he like stabbed her, then raped her, and then like stabbed her more. I think he like stabbed her and then raped her and then took money and left. I don't think he raped her and then stabbed her more. It's such a weird, like all three of those. It's like, are you robbing me? Are you raping me? Are you stabbing? It's just a weird order of things. Yeah. Maybe rape wasn't intentional at first. Like intent. Maybe he meant to, he was going to rob her and then he was like, well, But but yeah. The weird. Yeah. Okay. So according to one of her other neighbors, they had called the police after the first attack and said that a woman was attacked, that she got back up and was kind of staggering around. But this police call was never responded to. So no police came as a result of that call. So it was. So they did call. Oh, that makes me so mad because I was thinking, I'm pretty sure you could see she was hurt. Why would you not call? Because I was thinking at least if you because I get not coming out. You're putting your own life in danger. You never know if people have family or kids. But I was thinking they could have called, oh, police, police. A different neighbor named Carl Ross heard what was going on and called his friends to ask what he should do instead of calling the police. His friends told him not to get involved, so he didn't. Call the police, sir. Your friends are dumb. End of story. So when police finally got there, they interrogated Kitty's girlfriend and the questioning started at 7 a.m. and went on for six hours. Unfortunately, they did not get a ton of answers because they decided to focus on the fact that Marianne and Kitty were lesbians instead of the actual police investigation, but she was initially considered a suspect. I knew this was going to happen. (laughs) That's what my comment was earlier when I was like, eh, eh. I was going to say, oh, lesbians in the 60s, but I decided to wait, and that was a good decision. Yeah, they pretty much were just asking, like, questions about their sex life and stuff, and she's like, this literally has nothing to do with it, so how about we just find the person who killed her, because I didn't rape her. It's like, this has nothing to do with what was happening. Now we can say they can question her, just like they would anybody closest, but I'm sure it was very rude and biased. So six days after the murder on March 19th, Mosley was arrested for suspicion of a robbery after they found a TV set in his car. So suspicious, but the police remembered that a white car had been seen at the scene of Kitty's murder. So they decided to question Mosley in relation to the murder. And I find that interesting because it literally was just a white car was seen and he had a white car. 
So kind of like what we were talking about last week with Amber's case, they saw a black truck and they were like, I mean, we could have stopped everybody with a black truck, I guess. But like they literally are nuts. because They're like, white car, white car. Yeah, let's talk to the guy. I wonder if it was just because they had it happened so close together. So they were like, we might as well, you know, look into this. But that's pretty awesome. I guess not awesome, but that he's thieving so close together. But once again, just thieving on the streets, a menace to society. He seems like a freaking thief. So that sucks because like, it just sucks to be a woman. That's all. I got nothing else. (laughs) Okay. So it's a good thing that they did follow that lead because he admitted to murdering Kitty Genovese and two other women, Annie Mae Johnson and Barbara Kralik, who had both been murdered earlier that year. One of them was set on fire. In his confession, he said, I had a feeling this man would close his window and go back to sleep. And sure enough, he did. I came back because I'd not finished what I set out to do. This guy is terrifying because, first of all, he's he's chaotic. So now I get it because there were two. I didn't know if it was like his first kill. So there were two other women, but he set one on fire. Did he stab the other one? I'm not sure if he stabbed them or not, honestly. But it's like there's no, like, it doesn't feel like there's any rhyme or reason. He's like, fire, stab, rape, TV, money. It's like, what the heck? And then the other terrifying thing is he, like, preyed on humanity's weakness. Like, oh, I knew the guy would go back to sleep. That's terrifying. And he literally said that he was just out trolling the streets looking for a victim. And that's when he saw her. It was completely random. He just saw her at the traffic stop. He'd been out looking for somebody. And she was the first one he found. Um, More advice for the world. It is scary when you're just at a red light and you look over and you make eye contact with that person. It's scary to think that that's literally all you had to do or, you know, I don't know if she did or not. He was just sitting in his car. He wasn't even driving. He was just on the side of the road. Uh, He was just on the side of the road. God, he's so weird. But I was thinking because I've like made eye contact with somebody at a red light before and then it got weird. Like they're already (laughs) looking at you. Yeah, it looks like they're already looking at you and then you're like, but um, I am just paranoid. So I always I think. I assume everyone's following me in my car until they're not, until they stop turning the ways I'm turning. (laughs) I'm paranoid Um, until I'm not. All right. So my (laughs) advice is to always look to see if people are turning the way you're turning. So Winston Mosley was 29 years old at the time that he murdered Kitty. And he was married and had two children and no criminal record. This guy is creepy. I hate when they lead double lives and then no one knows. And he's just chaos. And I'm surprised he admitted it so quickly. Yeah, he's like, white car, you got me. Yeah, he didn't even wait for them to like get more evidence and stuff. He's just like, hey, you're right. I drive a white car. You got me. He could have been like, a lot of people drive white cars or whatever. Yeah, he's like, guilty as charged. So according to him... He had no real motive to kill, but he said that he simply, and I quote, wanted to kill a woman because they were easier to kill because they wouldn't fight back. So that's cool. Gee, once again, this guy's just 
horrific. There's no motive. Oh, I don't like when it's so random like that because then it can literally just be anyone. And he's just like, hey, I just want to kill someone. And easy target. He didn't even, it didn't even sound like he's like the typical woman hater. He's just like, they're weaker than me. Yeah, like that was his excuse. Like, no mommy issues, no this or that. Just, I don't want to struggle. Like, I want an easy kill. Let's just, let's just go ahead and go after the weaker gender here. You know, all will be well. It's like, can you just go hunting or something? I don't like killing animals, but like maybe just hunt deer and eat them. Will that help? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, have serial killers ever thought about just going hunting? (laughs) Megan has solved the world's problems. I wonder if they've ever like just thought about hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Don't waste the meat. Can you please also eat it? I'm asking a lot of them. Can you make a rug out of their fur so that you're not leaving anything behind and tools out of their bones? (laughs) Goodness gracious. So I saw conflicting statements on where his wife was during these attacks. Some sources said that she was at home asleep and he just snuck out of the house. Others said that she was a nurse working night shifts so he was able to sneak out and kill women. Because his either is either his mom or his mother in law was home, like helping to take care of the kids. So while his wife was at work, he was able to leave and stalk and murder women. Oh my god, if she was really a nurse, that's horrible. Like she's out here saving lives. That girl could literally possibly come through her hospital. Isn't that crazy? If you found out, like, what if she had taken? Oh, that's weird. Like she's like if a woman like survived and not like made it to the hospital and she's like, I just saved the person he tried to kill. Yeah, that woman almost survived and it sucks she would have if the police had come because he was just giving it some time knowing that guy would go back to sleep. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah. So in addition to admitting the other two murders, he also said that he committed between 30 and 40 burglaries, but those did not result in any rape or murder. So I feel like, and I appreciate your enthusiasm so far with the story, like getting, you're like, what? We'll just wait. So not surprisingly, he was found guilty for the murder of Kitty. He literally confessed to it, had, you know, details that only the perpetrator would know. But he was not tried with the murders of the other two victims because there wasn't enough evidence, even though he gave details that only the murderer would know. What was the evidence they had for Kitty? Like, I mean, I guess his confession, maybe his prints on the knife. They didn't really go into all that because they had his confession. So I'm not entirely sure what else they had on him. So why does the confession not work for the other two? Because, thank you for asking. Another man named Alvin Mitchell was actually already on trial for the murder of Barbara Kralik, one of the other guy's other victims. Because he also confessed to the murders. What? (laughs) Yes. When and how and where does that happen? That's insane. I don't even understand. Okay, so there's more. So Winston Mosley literally testified for the defense of Alvin Mitchell saying that he did it and that he was guilty for the murder of Barbara Graylick. But the other guy, uh, it was a, after that, it was a mistrial. So he was tried again. The other guy was found guilty. 
this is so confusing. And they both are confessing to it? Yes. But only, uh, I'm not sure what evidence they had on Alvin aside from the confession for him, but Winston Mosley knew details that only the killer would know. And that he testified like for immunity because he already was found guilty on Kitty's on Kitty's murder. But he literally testified and he was like, no, I did it. So explain to me how that's not enough reasonable doubt for an acquittal. But it also seems like with the other guy, they had to have something pretty... Um, my brain went dead. Something pretty convincing. Like concrete? Solid? Thank you. You're welcome. Those are the words. <laughs> Those are the words I was looking for. That is, what if they did it together? Dun, dun, dun. So they both knew details. I feel like they, he would have just said that. Right. But you know, killers don't like giving other people their victims. You know what they I mean? don't. That's why I'm like, which one did it? I want to know but i mean either way i feel like both of these guys killed someone maybe maybe because you're right then those weirdos that just confess to wanting to do it oh i don't know i feel like if the dude had like details that weren't released i wonder i've never because i don't even know if this has ever happened i wonder if there's ever a time where like they can bring him into that case to create doubt because someone else is confessing to the same murder. Well, that's what they were trying to do. Like, he literally testified for the defense of this guy, being like, no, I'm the one who did it. And the jury still found him guilty. That is one time, like, I always think about being on a jury because I really don't want to, because that's a hard decision to make. And this is one time, but most of the time I watch his case and I'm like, guilty. But this is, everybody's guilty. But this one, I'd be like, whoa, I need to know, like, way more. That's crazy. It's enough for at least reasonable doubt. And if you can't find them guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, then you have to find them not guilty. Exactly. That's why I'm like, how is that not reasonable doubt? I would be like, what the heck? Who? And then, like, it's one thing for people to confess to murders they didn't do. But I don't, I've never heard, and maybe it's just happened, I've never heard someone confessing while someone else is getting charged and testifying that they did it. That's pretty intense. Yeah. And for them to still be found guilty, like Alvin was probably like, sweet, like I'm getting off. I made a false confession, but this guy's like, he did it. So he's like, I'm definitely going home. And then they're like, JK, you're guilty. <laughs> guilty. A. And he's like, hey, <laughs> like come again. This guy just said he did it. Hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, okay. All that right. was a plot twist. So, back to Kitty's case. Uh, Winston Mosley was sentenced to death on June 15th, 1964. But on June 1st of 1967, his sentence was reduced down to just life in prison without parole because they took the death penalty away in New York. Ah, uh, okay, but he's definitely not getting out, which is probably a good thing because he just seemed chaotic. And sometimes I wonder if people like have like an internal struggle and he knew he was chaotic because he had no problem like going to jail, it sounds like. He's like, yeah, I did that. I'll testify that I did that too. And it's like, and he was so reckless about it. Maybe he wanted to get caught. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So on March 18th, 1968, 
He was transported to the hospital while in custody after needing surgery for a self-inflicted wound. Not entirely sure what the self-inflicted wound was, but he escaped. Stop this madness. What is up with this case? So he hit the correctional officer that was guarding him, stole his gun, and then fled to a nearby vacant house where he stayed for three days undetected. But when the couple came home to check on the house, he held the couple hostage, tied up the husband, and raped the wife. He then took their car and fled. What is this case? This person's crazy. Maybe he want I changed my, maybe he wanted to escape jail. <laughs> You're like, this is his ultimate play. <laughs> and he's like, I want to get arrested and then escape. Because, I mean, he was just confessing all over the place. The other guy was up for the other murder. He could have been like, yeah, he did it. Well, Why? he got immunity for testifying. He wasn't going to get charged with that case. Yeah, but what's the point of immunity when you're literally going to prison forever for the first one? I don't know. Makes them feel better about themselves. <laughs> and then jazz fingers. That's wild. I hope this has a good ending because now I'm upset. So on March 22nd, he found another house where a mother and daughter were inside and he took them hostage. But he ended up letting them go and he was caught. Shortly after that, she wipes the sweat from her, her imaginary sweat from her brow. <laughs> so as a result of the escape, he was given two 15-year sentences in addition to his life sentence, which obviously he wasn't going to get out anyway, but they still charged him with that additional prison time. He ended up getting his bachelor's degree in sociology when he was in prison and tried to use this to help his chances at parole, but he was denied 18 times, the last one being in 2015. So, I thought he didn't even have parole. Life without p- possibility of parole. Maybe they just commuted it down to life. With the possibility of parole. Maybe after a certain amount of time, sir. Literally raped someone else. Luckily, let the mom and woman go, which weird. Did it say how he got caught the second time? Um, No. But you're right. Like, he literally escaped, and this shows exactly what he would do if he was out in the world. Yeah, because he didn't, he didn't, first of all, he didn't even serve his life, <laughs> his forever sentence, and he escaped, and then he was still bad. Like, he was geez. still bad. He was still a bad, bad boy. He was. So, he did not get out, and he died in prison on March 28th, 2016, at the age of 81. Dang, he lived long, but at least, I mean, that sucks to live in prison, so good, because he's wildin'. He needs to chill. Yeah. That's he's a- like the hyper killer I've ever heard, I feel like. I feel like he's just wildin' out. You were on a roller coaster. <laughs> that was so, there were so many block twists. We're not even done. What? He came back to life? <laughs> we're done with he's him. Gone. So let's go back to Kitty and her attack. So there wasn't a ton of media coverage up front, but when a New York Times author got a hold of the case, he published an article on March 27th, 1964, and it had the headline of 37 who saw a murder didn't call police. He was referencing all of the neighbors who heard Kitty's cries for help, but didn't want to get involved. Literally, one of her neighbors was quoted as saying, yeah, I heard what was going on, but I, quote, didn't want to get involved. Side story. Me and my sister, I've had a lot of apartment 
weird things and we lived in this one apartment but i don't know if the police came so it's annoying i get not wanting to go outside because you could get yourself killed or your family hurt but i don't get not calling the cops and it was terrifying we lived in this apartment and i swear when we were in the front near the leasing office we like loved that apartment we had to move apartments and they put us in the back and just weird creepy stuff happened all the time and the the creepy thing is the day we saw this van and I used to serve too like she's coming home all random hours it was normal it was dark when I came home but I had like a wad of money in my pocket but I noticed this white van and this creepy guy standing out in front of it and his eyes were bloodshot red and um I texted my sister I was like there's this weird guy outside in an all-white van and he has jersey plates. I wrote down his license plate and everything because I'm paranoid. And I went inside and I was like, be careful when you're home. And she was like, yeah, he was still standing out there. He was just like standing outside. Well, later that night we heard I was knocked out. And my sister was like, wake up, wake up. There's a woman screaming. And I was like, no, there's not. And she, like, she would just lie. But we were pausing for a long time and I didn't hear anything. And then suddenly I hear and the sound of her voice will haunt me for my entire life. She was just like, help me, please help. Like it sounded terrifying. So of course, as two women, we weren't going to go outside, but we called the cops and we reported it. And we mentioned, I was like, there was a weird van I've never seen before. It had Jersey plates. It just sucks to not know if anyone ever came or anything came out of it. Cause we didn't want to go outside, but I mean, how can you hear that and not? What call? if you caught the guy by giving them their plates? And how have I never heard this story before? I don't know. A lot of creepy things happened in that apartment. It was just such a long time ago. But I hope, because I also called my apartment complex the next well, day. Well, did you hear the cops come? We didn't. And that's what made us worry. Because we didn't hear them come. And we had called the cops not long before that. And we were like, we hope they don't just think we're, but you should come every freaking time because, yeah. or someone was messing with our door handle mm. and we had like put the couch in front of the door, got knives. <laughs> That's crazy. But we, I, I was like, I got to get out of this apartment. Um, but the other story where someone was beating on my door and I called the cops, it said, your call will be answered in the order it was received. And I was on hold for five minutes like what is this restaurant reservations it was insane and that is the point where i no longer felt comfortable with the police because i was like five minutes someone's dead in one minute so i got a gun <laughs> there we are so the news story also mentioned like Pretty much that people who live in the city and urban environments no longer care about their neighbors like they would in a small town. And was like, look at what's happening to society. Nobody came to this girl's aid, yada, yada, yada. So they used it as like a sociological study. Like, look, look at what happens when you move to the city and people don't have family values. That's so not true, though, because it's the standby effect, which is everywhere, city or not. Usually people don't want to get involved and they say, oh, someone else will do it. There was already a study on that, sir, not you, the guy who wrote it. 
So a lot of neighbors said that they did hear what was going on, but they didn't know if it was like a lover's quarrel or drunks arguing and nobody saw like the entire attack. So they maybe saw bits and pieces and didn't realize exactly what they were seeing. And like I said, only two people called the police. However, it was later debunked like in 2004. So a long time later that it was actually maybe more like anywhere between 6 and 12 people who actually saw the attack, not 37. And they didn't call the police for a variety of reasons. But even still, 6 to 12 people is a lot of people to see what was going on and not do anything about it. Correct. And unfortunately, that's just that standby effect thing. And like the people said, oh, I thought it was a couple fighting because they're hearing and not. But I'm telling you, that shrill of that woman, and I'm assuming it was very much the same, and this girl was getting stabbed, it does not sound like a domestic dispute. It, like, chilled my entire body. And she said, oh, my God, he stabbed me. Help me. Correct. And I'm sure for some people it was muffled. Some people are dead sleepers like me. So when he said 37, I'm like, did you just count the whole apartment because it sounded like a smaller apartment complex maybe so i'm glad that you mentioned this even though you called it the standby effect it's called the bystander effect twice i'm like that stand because i'm thinking standby yeah (laughs) so up until kitty's attack this was not a thing psych like psychological studies were done because of this attack, and it was coined the bystander effect. Uh-huh. Okay, well, that's good to know, because I'm like, sir, that study's already done. It's called the standby effect. And he's like, you're a little few years ahead of your time, Megan. <laughs> and it's called the bystander <laughs> Yeah, you stupid. <laughs> and if anybody ever thinks that I'm mean because I say you stupid, Megan started that. By saying you stupid, everything. <laughs> so that's why I said it. I don't actually think she's stupid. I'm just giving her a hard time. So the bystander effect basically says that the more people that are in a group are less likely to step in to help somebody in need. This is mostly because they assume that somebody else is going to help. So that's why they say in like emergency situations that you're supposed to point to one person and say call the police because. Otherwise, people will assume, oh, there's all these people here. I'm sure somebody else already called the police, which is what all of Kitty's neighbors probably thought. But that didn't happen. Because as I'm getting stabbed, I can focus, look around, see who's looking. Well, I mean, like choking situations or like if you find somebody in need and you're like... 204, call the police. I remember like learning in like my health class or something during like CPR needing emergencies that you're supposed to point to one person and be like, call the police. And then they have the responsibility. It's so sad because people don't know what to do on their own. I was just talking about this with someone, but it's really hard to also think about like pointing at one person and say, you do it in an emergency situation. But I guess we can all try. Thank you, Megan. We can all try. So studies show that 70% of people, when they were alone, they offered help to somebody that was hurt or in danger. But only 40% of people, when they were with a stranger or multiple strangers, offered to help. Interesting. 
it is very interesting because you would almost think you'd be more afraid to help by yourself, but uh, you it turns into like the responsibility, like there's no one else here to do this. I have to do this now, I guess. But it is interesting because even in my situation, my sister woke me up first. We like wait. And then, and she probably almost wanted to convince herself she wasn't crazy too. Like, or like it I, wasn't the TV or something. Cause in apartments, you can hear people's music and TVs and all that stuff. Yeah. It was like, uh, listen. And I was like, oh crap. But at least we called. So Kitty did not only have an impact on the psychology of the bystander effect, but also an impact on emergency systems. So at the time of Kitty's murder, there was no centralized emergency service. So people would have to call their precinct, like in their city, and directly report a crime. Or they could call an operator and have them dispatched, like to their local precinct. But like 911 was not a thing. That's nuts. When did 911 come about? Thank you for asking. <laughs> so it took three years after Kitty's murder in 1967 or 68. It may have finally became a, like a thing. The office of President Lyndon B. Johnson created a new system and created the number 911 for emergencies. 911 was chosen because they wanted a quick and easy number to remember, and 911 had never been an area code or anything else. So it couldn't get confused. And also, a lot of times, like, well, not a lot of times, in those times, they, all the phones were like the rotary phones. So they tried to keep it as simple as possible to be a quick call for that. That's crazy. This is a very impactful case, Alexa. Thanks. And I was literally thinking, like, I need to text my mom and be like, how does it feel to be older than 911? <laughs> That's rude. Wait, <laughs> said 1960 what? Seven or 1968. Oh, yeah. My mom was 1963. Yeah. I told everyone how old my mom was. <laughs> but this Hi, Melissa. 1950s. Isn't that crazy? Like, you would think that by the 60s, 911 was a thing. Like, it's always been a thing. You know, like, you never think about it. It's always been a thing, but obviously it has not. That is is pretty wild. But now we need to not have them put you on hold for five minutes. (laughs) Exactly. So the first 911 call was made in Haleyville, Alabama, by the mayor just, like, calling them being, like, dispatched to the dispatcher. And so from then on out, it was the centralized emergency phone number. Because, I mean, in reality, like, if you don't know your local precinct's phone number, it's going to take time to look that up in the phone book or get connected to an operator or whatnot. And then, like you said, back then, that freaking rotary phone having to dial a full number, it's like, roop, roop. Yeah. (laughs) And the killer's just, like, behind you, like, you done yet? Because I'm about to stab you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the last number, and then I'm just gonna go at it. Yeah, yeah, that's terrifying. So, would more have people like? Would more people have been inclined to help Kitty if it was only three numbers to call? It's quick. It's easy. It's not taking up a lot of their time, and maybe the call would have been immediately dispatched if it had been immediately connected, because you know that one guy said he called the police, but the police never responded. Yeah, that's pretty wild. And now I forgive more of these people. I was thinking in modern times because, yeah. Like, get your cell phone. Call 911. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Grab your cell phone. Uh, Page 911. When when did pagers happen? 
like the 90s, 80s, 90s. So this is my connection to our where did this come from. Last week it was the Amber Alert, and this week it's 911. So what are your thoughts on everything? There's Um, a lot to digest. There's a lot. I feel like you didn't expect the case to take the turns that it took. I didn't expect the case to take the turns. There were a lot of plot twists. It was a very cool, um, not cool outcome. The 911 thing, I'm glad that happened. But it's it just is, it sucks that all, during all these things, like the children that get abducted, there's always a new law. They're like, whoops. And I mean, I guess it's learning, but it just sucks someone usually has to die before we learn to put some of these things into practice. But yeah. That was a good case. Uh, that was a sad case because it could have been prevented. Yeah, because it wasn't like one of these ones where they take them and induct them, and you're like, "There's no hope." Like they were out, they were alone, they were captured. It's like so many people heard. People were trying to help. The woman even came out there with her. To be honest, there were more people that tried to help in this case than usual. So. All right. Well, that was this week's episode. And I think I have maybe one more in this little mini series that I made up. Um, so if y'all want to want to leave a review rating, <laughs> she's rolling her eyes at me. I'm not making anybody do anything around here. Uh, on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Instagram at Murder in the Mountains. And I think we'll have a Friday episode of Motive in the Mountains? Question mark. Oh <laughs> to see if you agreed. <laughs> you're, you're the boss. That's right. Don't forget it. <laughs> she like rolled her eyes, immediately regretted that statement. I know that Holly probably wants to be all over this case this after she would be it's solved it had a lot of info and it had a good outcome or at least profit put in place so right up her alley i feel like that's right up her alley all right well y'all stay tuned and listen to friday's episode of motive in the mountains and let us know your thoughts on the case also you can comment on instagram and just let us know And to come back next week for another episode of Murder in the Mountains. See ya. Bye.